Hey, man, I love that song. It's one of my favorites. I'm glad to be back uh, amongst you. I was, just got back from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I was able to go there with uh, John Haynes and uh, Douglas and Vicki Jacoby. We were at the, uh, our teachers' conference. Uh, uh, for those uh, in our fellowship of churches that love to, to teach God's Word, we were getting some training, and uh, it was great to be uh, alongside many uh, men and women who uh, really are gifted in the area of teaching or who are just really hungry to learn more. So it was encouraging to be there. Definitely something I, I enjoy. And uh, we are going to continue our, uh, our, our year's theme to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that is what we're really trying to do. I know every day, uh, but it's, it's been helpful to, to look at the book of Hebrews and to, to really remember how that is an anchor for our soul in so many ways, just to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as, uh, as this month, right, uh, you know, Women's Month here at our church. Today is National Women's Day, I believe. International, maybe. Uh, we're focusing on Jesus' extraordinary treatment of women. And uh, last week we had guest speakers from out of town, from Vermont, the Shoffs. And uh, that was great. And they really talked about just this concept of, of, of how Jesus respected women, uh, even women that had challenging backgrounds. He, he would show them respect, that woman in Luke chapter 7. That was, that was last week. And that was simple respect from last week. And if you, re- if you remember, our theme for the Women's Day is simplified, right? Just, hey, let's just fix our eyes on Jesus. Keep it simple, right? Simplify our lives. So we decided to do some messages based on that concept of simple, right? And uh, the women uh, in the church came up with these messages. So don't be like, oh, why do men going to do the messages when it's women's month? These are ideas that were given to us by some of the sisters in the church. So amen to that. I'm grateful that we have sisters. Today, we're focusing in on simple devotion and Mary Magdalene. That'll be our, our focus this morning. So let's go to God in prayer right at this moment. Father, we come to you at this moment wanting to humble ourselves, wanting to experience you, not just hear a message about you. Father, I pray that we can believe the unseen realities that exist, that your spirit is real. He is among us. And uh, Father, I pray that he can be powerful among us and that your word can touch our hearts. Father, help us to uh, break free from any grogginess of, uh, or grumpiness that we lost an hour of sleep and uh, really be attentive to what you may be doing, Father. Any, any given Sunday, any given time, uh, when we open up your word, uh, Father, we know that our hearts can be transformed. And uh, we pray for that this morning. I pray for you to help us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, who definitely showed us how to treat women with dignity and respect. We pray in his name. Amen. And so when I think about devotion, in our, in our words and kind of our vernacular, we think of devotion in our language of this concept of, of, of loyalty and faithfulness and and uh, in, in the Greek word, it, there's, there's a couple of words that are used for devotion, and, and they, they have like word pictures, you know, like to gaze, to, to hold, right, and, and uh, to stare at. That's one of the concepts when, when the word devoted or devotion was used. That was kind of the word picture that would come to mind, or to endure, to persevere, to kind of, to kind of stick with someone. And so that was kind of the wording that when you said the, the word devoted in, in kind of New Testament times, that would be, those would be some of the word pictures. And I think when we look at Mary Magdalene's life, 
These are the concepts that definitely come into play. We're going to start looking at Mary's life when we look in Luke's gospel. Uh, We're going to actually pick up right after last Sunday when that sinful woman came into and crashed the party uh, where Jesus was, and Jesus treated her uh, with so much respect in a a moment where she could have felt nothing but shame. Uh, And so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 8, and uh, we'll read together. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And quite honestly, Mary Magdalene is not mentioned a whole lot in the scripture, okay? Uh, But the things that we can glean from what's mentioned about her, I think are powerful enough for us to really ponder and look at uh, with her life. Uh, First thing we find out about her in Luke's gospel is that she had seven demons that came out of her. Uh, I have two daughters, and sometimes I feel like I've seen that happen. But I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It gets a little more frequent these days, but no, I'm just kidding. I won't say that at the 11 o'clock when they're here. Amen. There you go. But, um, but uh, honestly, we, when we read that, some of us are just going to check out because that's weird. And I think we got to just confront that. We, we, I think we have this anti-supernatural bias, you know? I think when we hear stuff like demons or evil spirits or unclean spirits, we can kind of like, eh, that's kind of weird. See, that's what keeps people from the Bible. And I'm just here to tell you, don't do that, okay? If we are going to give the scriptures their due and, and let them have the authority in our lives, we got to realize there are many examples of demons or unclean spirits in the New Testament. And it's not a pretty sight often. I mean, th- these are people that have, they don't have, uh, often don't have control over what they say. And sometimes it seems that the, the spirit within them is speaking for them. I mean, you've got situations where they'll throw the person that they inhabit into fire. Okay, things like that. I mean, these, this is not a, a laughing matter, okay? You got uh, d- possessed by demons, and he, they're in tomb, living amongst the tombs, cutting themselves. And, and, and this is serious. And you might go, why did that happen then and not now? And who knows the exact, exact, exact reason? But hey, perhaps I think, you know, when Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, I think there's some spiritual emanations coming from him. That's a unique time in in history when God enfleshed himself and walked among us, and maybe those emanations woke some stuff up. The unseen realities. Oftentimes those demons say, hey, we know who you are, you know, and and people around them are like, what's going on? There's a spiritual world that we need to wake up to. Mary knew that life very, very well. Seven demons that came out from her. What an intense life she probably led, right, before meeting Jesus. And the text seems to imply that Jesus was the one responsible for getting those seven demons to come out of her. And uh, wanted to also just take a note of this situation. Jesus is traveling from one town to another with women. That's not normal in this day and age, okay? 
There were many rabbis that had men that were their followers, but they were men and they would travel. But this situation, highly different from others. And so they're traveling from town to town, staying in different places with unmarried women and some men who were married and some unmarried. This was kind of like, whoa, what's going on? But what message does Jesus have here? The kingdom of God. He's not only proclaiming a message that talks about how God's kingdom is different than the world around him, right? That there are different values that God, God has made men and women both in his own image. God has given value to men and women's contributions. Jesus has elevated the, the, the women in his, in his culture. And so not only was he proclaiming and preaching about this new kingdom, but he was living it out. And you think about Jesus. There are a lot of things said about Jesus negative. You're a drunkard. You're a glutton. Some even said, you have a demon. But you know what? In the gospel record, you know what it doesn't say of all his detractors? You don't treat women well, or you're a de- you, you've been a little funky with some of these girls. You never even see that, even from his enemies. So he didn't just proclaim a message about how to relate to women. He lived it out. He lived it out. And I'm grateful <laughs> That when I became a Christian, I was around a group of people that actually proclaimed a different message of how men and women could relate to one another. And it was revolutionary to me. And I appreciated it. I appreciated seeing in Southern California young men and women in their 20s interacting with one another, fighting for the message of Jesus with one another, and fighting to have relationships with one another that weren't dominated by playing mind games and sleeping with one another, but fighting for one another's sexual purity, emotional purity, helping each other get closer to God instead of drawing each other away from God. That was the kind of world that I saw in the church, and it was so different, and it so drew me in. Because deep down, I wanted to learn how to live like that. Jesus inspired me how to treat women in a way that I had never known before. My mother and my grandmother, trust me, they taught me I better treat women right. (laughs) Trust me, I got a lot of lessons on how to respect women. But Jesus really taught me what it meant to live as a man in the kingdom of God and to treat older women like mothers with absolute purity, younger women like sisters with absolute purity and righteousness. It was a beautiful, beautiful time in my life, and I always look back on it and I'm grateful for that time. I'm so grateful to be in a church that, I, that really taught me how to live right when it came to women and didn't make me all fearful. Like, every time you get with women, you know, sexual immorality could happen. I was so grateful that they taught me, you know what, if you're an idiot, yeah, that can happen. But if you're close to Jesus, if you rely on self-control of the Holy Spirit that you have, It gave me confidence to be in the presence of a woman instead of running away like I'm going to do something wrong, right? Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, and he can teach us how to have right relationships. And I appreciate not only did he have a woman like Mary Magdalene who surely had a rough social life with seven demons, but notice who's this Joanna, the wife of who? Chusa, who's the manager of Herod's household? Now that's a higher up kind of woman. That's a, that's a Herod's household. Wow. So Jesus could attract the type of woman who, you know, who, who needed Jesus as a crutch. You know how people like to talk about Christianity that way, right? Surely Mary Magdalene needed a Jesus. But what about this woman? Probably high up, probably had means and everything, but she was following Jesus too. Different types of people standing close to Jesus and financially supporting him 
as well. Jesus valued their relationship, valued their contribution to, to uh, their contributions to his ministry. They were connected in a powerful way. You know, Jesus is amazing, and the, and the, type, of, the type of environment he creates is truly inspirational, you know. And I believe this is the kind of devotion, the kind of fixed gaze that Mary had with Jesus, like, wow, to take her out of her old life. She held on to him and persevered with him and endured with him. And that was the source of her devotion. And uh, I'm going to call up a really amazing woman uh, who's going to share a little bit this morning, uh, a woman that I met when I was in my 20s and uh, now, I guess, almost 50, and uh, a woman who stole my heart, uh, not because of her physical beauty, uh, but because of just her connection to God and her love for God, and she's beautiful too. I mean, that definitely is in there. But, uh, but we started out leading a small group together uh, of singles in, the, in our church, and we would meet, uh, we would meet at the, in Manhattan Beach is where we were living near there, and we'd pray for our group together before we were even dating or interested in each other, and that was kind of how we bonded in our friendship. Uh, but I, you know, I wanted Christy to be able to tell her story kind of through the lens of a Mary Magdalene, uh, because I do believe that uh, it's helpful to hear uh, from, from women uh, as well their journey uh, with Jesus and their devotion to Jesus and not just kind of hear from the men. So I wanted to give you my queen of 20 years, uh, Christy Hickman. I think he's kind of cute, too. Uh, I am really happy to be able to share with you today a little bit about my life and the connection I feel to Mary Magdalene and how her relationship with Jesus has inspired me. And, you know, it's true what Jeff was saying. You can read over that passage so quickly that, you know, Jesus had taken seven demons out of Mary Magdalene and think, well, I can't even really fathom what that looks like. Uh, so I'll find someone else in the, in the Bible I relate more to. But have you ever had something or someone or some situation dominate you to the point where you feel like you're losing control over it? You are losing the battle. You are losing peace of mind. Maybe it's anxiety and worry to a level that harms your health even. Uh, and you can't let go. Maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe it's depression that you cannot seem to get past. Maybe it is fear and insecurity of the future, of financial situations, of it could be a number of things. Maybe you just feel terrible about yourself and you can't enjoy life and you feel shame about who you are. Maybe someone really hurt you and you can't forgive and the bitterness and resentment, it just is gripping you. And even if you try to forgive, you go to church, you just can't. There are a number of things that can make us want to just give up. Uh, a number of things where I have felt before, I can't take it anymore. Have you ever said that, those words? I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. You know, I think demons don't necessarily come with red faces and horns and tails and knock on our door. I think they come disguised in all kinds of ways. But I think especially for me, it was thoughts, ideas that turned into thinking patterns, that turned into lifestyle choices, that turned into a trap. 
And you know, once you're in a trap, you, you can't get out. Someone else has to rescue you to get out. You know, I found myself burdened with guilt and shame. And on a roller coaster, I never set to be out riding. And you know, when you get to this point, voila, Satan has you trapped and you are powerless. And this won't happen all at once sometimes. Maybe it's day by day or issue by issue or drop by drop. But the end result for Mary was seven demons. I mean, at least Mary was go big or go home. It didn't take one, two, or three, but <laughs> to take this woman down, you know, she was a lot, probably before and especially after. I mean, do you ever feel like it's just a lot? My life is a lot. I'm a lot. If I, if I every day let my friends know how it really was, I would burden them. They don't want to. May, or maybe you have a friend or a family member that you go, whoo, that's a lot. I want to walk the other way before Pandora's box gets opened, you know? But the thing about Jesus is that's what drew him to people, people that were a lot. You know, for me, growing up, I was born in Atlanta, actually, Georgia, and then my parents divorced, so I moved to Mississippi. I grew up there. My mother was a powerhouse, force of nature to be reckoned with. She told me things when I was very young, like, you don't think about marrying the president. You can be the president. You remember that. So I'm joining the race to end the mess. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> But when I was young, I felt very brave. I felt very strong. My mom said, go for it. I went for it. Uh, by 15, my life looks like this. Um, I was an all-state basketball player. I competed in dance and baton twirling. I had won the nationals five times. I um, was Miss Teen USA. And my penthouse on Wilshire in LA I roomed with Miss Universe and Miss USA, and we had a white limo to take us around in the day and a black one at night to the celebrity parties. I was traveling. I had a contract with Paramount Pictures, had a lot of money in the bank account. By 16, my life looked like this. Food was my drug for comfort. I would go to one of those parties, or I'm traveling you know, for work and go back to the hotel and order every dessert on the room service menu. Um, I would binge, then starve and OD on diuretics to try to lose weight in three days. Um, and I was very insecure. I had an ulcer at the age of 16. I was sad, disillusioned, and depressed because success was just a lie. That's what it was, it was a trap. Somewhere growing up, my perfectionism and my fighting spirit to be the best I could be became, you need to be the best, not your best, the best. And my identity came from praise of other people. And my approval is where my sense of being loved and accepted came from. And I set a standard for myself so high that it was impossible to keep up because no one can be the best all the time. And no one can be pretty all the time. And no one can be skinny all the time. And if I wasn't that now, I was a failure, a fraud, a burnout, 
that was great when she was young, but didn't do anything with her life. And that was my biggest fear. And it, internally, I was gripped with these fears. And in college, you know, I just, it just really got darker and darker in my mind. And I was dating. I started looking for relationships to fill that void. And I was in this one unhealthy relationship, and I remember being a fight, in a fight and running outside. And it was late at night and just falling on my knees, fetal position, in the wet grass. I remember how it felt, and I remember all I said was, God, help me. And I was crying, but I was desperate. And, you know, a chain of events I can look back started from that prayer. I started feeling the strength to make hard decisions and carry them out. I broke up with my boyfriend. Uh, the timing was that I was about to graduate and move back to L.A., and I, I was praying, you know, God help me. And I started visiting churches. Then one time I was in line at a frozen yogurt store um, about to get my dinner with some kind of sprinkles and toppings. My dinner every night. Yep. Mid-20s. Anyway, um, she invited me. I met someone in line, and she invited me out to church. And I came out to church, and she asked me if I wanted to study the Bible with her and just a couple of women in an intimate setting. And I did. And, you know, I had my next moment of desperation. We studied out the cross and forgiveness, and I let it all out. I let out all the things I had done that I regretted. I let out all my shame. I just let them see me, all the bad, all the fear, everything. And uh, you know what happened? Again, in my moment of desperation, Jesus showed up. And very soon after that, on a women's day, after a women's day service, we left the women's day, and I went, and I was baptized in someone's pool. And, uh, you know, from, from the time in my desperation, I reached out for Jesus. He's been there. He's kept showing up. He's kept showing up. And, you know, very much like Mary Magdalene, I wanted to go big or go home, but with Jesus this time. I wanted to be part of the women's ministry. I wanted to change my dream to just be completely consumed with following Jesus and helping other people and studying the Bible with people. And uh, so, you know, God took me on that amazing journey, and I met Jeff, and we got married. Um, we've had children. Um, Jeff and I were appointed together as an evangelist and a women's ministry leader. Got to experience that dream coming, coming true with someone that was just unified and like-minded. And this whole time, we've been able to work together. Now we're in Georgia. I am not officially in the ministry, but I will always be in the ministry. But I'm a fitness director. I, my, uh, Adrian Hickman, better known as Grammy, my mother-in-law, and I started our own decorating business a year ago. I mean, God just continues to give me exciting ways to live my life and to reach out to women. But I would not be honest if I did not tell you that in the midst of all of this excitement and blessing, if I didn't often find myself back in places of desperation on my knees. But I can tell you, Jesus always shows up. You know, after Mary Magdalene had that amazing experience walking with Jesus, all of a sudden he was gone. He was dead. He was buried. And she found herself in that spot again. What am I going to do? 
I can't get forgiveness from anyone else. I can't get healing from anyone else. He changed my life. Where do I go? You know, at this point, the disciples were hiding, and they were afraid for their lives. Jesus was dead. Mary was in tears and desperation, but she went to the tomb. She didn't care if the soldiers were there. She wanted Jesus dead or alive. How inspirational is that? She brought her spices and her perfume to embalm his body. She wasn't even expecting him to be alive. She just, she even wanted him in death. She was devoted. And, uh, you know, I want to read this passage in John when Mary comes and just look at her heart. You know, sometimes I have been on the ground on my knees where I have been hit in the gut so hard with disappointment and with pain that I feel like, once again, I can't take it anymore. But Jesus always shows up. And let's see what happens here. In John 20, verse 19. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out, Teacher. You know, that day at the tomb, Jesus showed up for Mary, like he always does. And you know, she was the very first person he appeared to. You can look in Mark 16, 9. And you know what I believe that communicated? Mary, your ride or die faith, your devotion to me, your heart, your bravery is something I want to reward. And I will continue to. I believe that even though seven demons had controlled her life, that she would never go backwards at this point. And Jesus knew it. But maybe Jesus needed her to prove to herself how far she could go, even if she couldn't see him in the moment. And sometimes it seems like Jesus isn't there. He's gone. Why should I keep praying? He's not answering. This is it. The power is gone. I'm powerless again. But we know Jesus will show up. You know, I believe that that day Mary heard Jesus say, you're special. I wanted you to know the good news first. You are the very person I want to start this new resurrected ministry on. And Mary, I love you. And I need you just like you need me. And whenever you need me in your desperation, I will always show up. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Great job. Appreciate it. Amen. Love hearing women's perspectives on God's word. It's so encouraging, so powerful. And, and uh, you know, there's something that happens in the scriptures that, that Christy alluded to 
is that proximity becomes very important in the, in the Gospels. And all, all, when you look at the Gospels, and I think it's good for you to do your own study, but even in John 19, it talks about near the, near the cross. Notice that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clovis, and Mary Magdalene, right? Um, and so that's John 19. But again, look at all the Gospels, and you'll see phrases like, all the disciples deserted him and fled. When things got hot, right? Sometimes people were running, okay? But it's interesting, note, when you do your own study, notice what it talks about the women and their proximity when Jesus is getting, you know, arrested, crucified, and, and even after the resurrection. And then in John 19, immediately after we find out where these women are, then John just gives us information. And again, he's not trying to put anybody down. He's just reporting the situation, right? And here we find that there's a guy named, there's a guy named you know, Joseph who's a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. He's, you know, he's got some fear to, to just be openly devoted to Jesus, right? And you've got a guy named uh, Nicodemus who John reminds you Nicodemus was the one that went to visit Jesus at night. Okay, again, I don't think John is trying to do one of these to the men. But again, it's in the record, guys. It's not, it's right there for us to ponder and to think about. You know what I mean? And John chapter 20, yeah, Mary was the first to the tomb. Well, what does that mean? What do you think that means? These are good questions that maybe you can talk about in a small group this week or in the, in the near future. I think that shows her devotion, you know. In John chapter 20, it says, you know, in verses 3 to 10, it talks about how Peter and John went back to where they were staying, right? They went back, but Mary stayed there. What does that mean? What do we learn? What can we learn from, from Mary? Was she there the whole time? So Peter and John go back. Isn't she afraid for her safety or what? Or, but she stays at the tomb when the men are not there. And if you read John chapter 20, 12 through 18, you just see her braveness, just her loyalty. And, 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 and notice that Jesus tells Mary, go tell the apostles what's going on. In, in, in scholarly works or whatever, they call Mary the apostle to the apostles. Because she got, the, there's the great commission, but this is like the first post-resurrection post commission. Go, I want you to go and tell the men who I am and my situation. Again, that is an intense reality, especially in a day and age where women's testimonies were not even given credence. And if you're going to start a religious movement, don't put in your documents that the people that first saw the guy that rests, everything rests on Jesus' resurrection, and the first person's a woman. Don't, if you're trying to start a successful religious movement, don't have a woman be the first one to give you the message because it's going to get discredited. But that's exactly what happened, right? God's, God doesn't care about our little social mores, Right? I need to get my people out of Egypt. Okay, let me get this murderous guy who stutters and doesn't want to do nothing. Moses, come here. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get you going, right? I mean, God, this is, a, this is consistent <laughs> throughout the scriptures, right? You know, Peter, oh yeah, he was the guy that ran away and denied Jesus. And let's get him to be the start, the guy that starts things off. Why is it that we struggle to give, you know, 
people like Mary and the women that were in Jesus' circle? Why do we struggle so much just to give them their, their due? You know, and I think we think that if we elevate the women, we put the men down. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. And I think all of us can look at the simple devotion of a Mary Magdalene. Man, if you're a man or a woman, and I hope that you can be inspired by her gaze, her staring at Jesus, her perseverance with Jesus, her endurance with Jesus, her proximity to, proximity to Jesus, even in the hottest times, she was the closest. And I think we should all be inspired by Mary's simple devotion. And I hope that you can be inspired by that as well. And uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And uh, if you don't have uh, our kind of new thing with the, our hygienically helpful new communion process with the little cups and everything, if you don't have one, please raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Um, and we can reflect on Mary Magdalene and her devotion. And, and then remember this, John, who was one of the disciples who was near the cross as well. Remember, John wrote this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, <laughs> okay? So, and we love because he first loved us. We are grateful for Mary's devotion, but she was devoted to Jesus because Jesus first showed that devotion to her, okay? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, our gaze on Jesus, and let's show that devotion to him as we think about him and remember him during the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are grateful to be reminded of Mary Magdalene's devotion to Jesus. And it's so inspiring to see the transformation of her life and to see how she was so unwilling to leave Jesus alone, even in death. And Father, we're grateful even this morning to be able to remember Jesus, to, to eat of the bread that represents his body, to, to drink of this juice that represents his blood, to, to proclaim the reality in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, who has been resurrected and is at your right hand and who will return to make things right. And we proclaim that and we remember him and we pledge our allegiance and our undivided devotion to you as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.